right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. I have a special guest today, Talia Wagner. She is a marriage and family therapist, 15 years. And you might recognize that last name because I just had her husband, Alan Wagner, uh, also a marriage and family therapist, on uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, he talked about their new book that you guys co-wrote together, uh, Married Roommates. And, uh, but, you know, Alan, he got real personal. We learned a lot about Alan in that podcast. About me. (laughs) And about about you. (laughs) Uh, All good, all beautiful things, wonderful things. And, uh, but with with Talia today, we're going to talk more about the book, right? Can you tell us, tell tell us about the book? I'm excited. I can't, because it's not out yet, right? It's not out yet. It should be out in... The next couple of weeks, but uh, I don't know when this is going to air, so it might already be out by the time it airs. Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna release this right before it airs. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm I'm all about that. We gotta we gotta plug it. Yep, that's awesome. So about the book, so I think that Alan explained how we kind of got to it that we recognized in our own marriage some just I don't know maybe flatness or just this robotic you know, going through the motions and just handling business, handling kids, handling all the things that we needed to. But I don't know, some of that spark was gone and the joy was gone. And the more we talked about that with other people in our lives and our clients, it it was like the same story again and again and again. And so that got us thinking, what's going on? Like, why why are married people losing that, you know? And you you hear such amazing stories, and ours was one too, of people who connected and were so... You know, they, they just kind of fit like a glove. And then over time, over kids, over careers, it just disappeared. And we just didn't believe that it's not something that you could get back. So we, we wanted to find out what was going on, and we did. And so the book really is, it, it's not really our journey into it. I mean, that's how it starts off. But it just, it, it explains what we found, right? The things that have to be strengthened, the things that have to be promoted in a marriage in order for it to become what you want it to be, right? Look, at the end of the day, in that third act of life, we go back to each other. The kids leave, and then, you know, whatever we built, whatever we we created all those years, that's what stays. And so it's funny, because in the book, we call it a kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure time, like those books from... <laughs> right, right, right. From, I remember those from middle school. Those? Yep. So, yeah, you could choose which way you want it to go. You can either... Uh, have this amazing time where you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor, the money you made, the you know the kids you raised. You can take off traveling. You can do whatever you want, really. Or for many people, for many married married roommates, it's the end. Absolutely, you know it's it's interesting because I, I have a few friends of mine who are uh, they're in that transition yeah. where the kids are about to leave, and then it's just about to be those two. And you can feel the anxiety in the house. And it was interesting because one of my friends was like, you know, the, the kids had went away for a weekend and they were like, oh, we actually still enjoy being together. And they're surprised <laughs> yeah. that they still like each other. And I was like, wow, they've been married for like 20 years, you know. Yep. And so, you know, the thing that I loved about what you said, you said to strengthen the relationship, because I think a lot of people think they have to add things to the relationship. But you're talking about there are things that are already there that we just have to. You know, it's like when the, when the, when the leg on the table gets loose and you just yeah. got to, like, screw it in and, and things. So what are those things? Right. I mean, to, to go back to that leg analogy, do you just throw out the table or do you, do you fix it, right? A lot of people think, ah, 
this is it. There's no point. Right. And that's just not true. You can get back to that person you fell in love with, but you have to do the right things. You know, and where it connects to, to a lot of what you do is that, you know, even people who are down and out, depressed, in, in a suicidal kind of uh, frame of thought, there's a lot of things they can do to change that to find the color again in life, to find happiness. It's just that the things that they pour into their, their, their lives, their consciousness, it's just not the right stuff. And so we have to kind of be on a journey to figure out, okay, how do we strengthen our relationships, ourselves, you know? How do we get to that self-care and that loving ourselves, loving our partner, loving our families? We as a society kind of lost a little bit of that. We have. What, uh, what are some of those things that we think um, are... Uh, refueling us and replenishing us and connecting us, but are, are actually sabotaging us and steering us away, you know, like the social media and things like that. For sure, I would say social media. Look, it has its place, but if its place has replaced real life, then, you know, it's not replenishing us anymore, right? Like, we come home, we sit in front of the TV, that's what 90% of us do. Uh, we don't connect with each other. We're not even looking at each other. We're looking at like an in inanimate object, right. right? We are very caught up in things, in material possessions, which are really exciting before you get them. Really exciting. <laughs> But then you get them, whether that's the shoe or the bag or the, you know, I'm talking from... The iPhone. I just bought an iPhone. Yeah. Uh. But after that, you know, momentary high is gone. It's gone. It's just not enough to feed us anymore. And so we got to find things that actually produce happiness. And those things come from within. That's knowing yourself. It's knowing your self-care. It's, you know, it's, it's for lack of a better word, it's... Uh, Okay, so let, let's actually break it down a little bit right now. I mean, we kind of veered off the book, but this is a really important area because this is what props each of us individually so that we can be good for each other, right? Because if we're depressed or anxious or we've got some physical you know, manifestations going on, we're not going to be able to be there for each other in the best of ways. Right. So what I tell my clients is exercise, not to look good, not for the, you know, for weight loss, which is a benefit, it's an added benefit, but why you do it is for the endorphins, it's for that feel-good mm. stuff that courses through your body, right? Um, so exercise and nature, that's like a double bonus, right? We feel good in nature, it helps to heal us, whether that's the beach, whether that's in green areas, that is what we need as human beings. Music, music is a huge thing, yes. you know, making yourself an amazing playlist and just just being happy, right? So how do you get to happiness if you don't work on it, if you don't do that self-care, if you don't make sure that you have time in your day to, you know, feed your soul? You're so right. Like, nothing makes me happier than the Spotify playlist. Right? They, they make a new one every Monday, <laughs> oh, and I God. get so excited. I'm like, oh, what do you got for me? It's like Christmas every Monday. And I was just telling you, I went for a hike this morning because it, it, it is something about uh, being out there in nature, being with the rattlesnakes, totally. not knowing, you know, is this going to be my last hike? You know, <laughs> it, it makes you very present, but also very connected, you know. It does. And speaking of connection, you know, it's, it's the people in our lives that we that we need. We need them not just on our Facebook feed and Instagram. We need to see them. We need to talk to them. We need to hear from them. And, you know, it's it's really interesting because at the end of life, we we all kind of have the same regrets, 
right? And those are, I wish I would have spent time doing more of the things that I loved. Mm. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. And right now, in this moment, we could do something about all that. But at the end of our lives, we don't have we don't have the time to to, to make any changes with that. You, you know, it's it, all all the things that uh, media and and television try to sell you on to the the, the yeah. awesome vacations and <laughs> the nice hotels, and you realize like this is nothing better than uh, a great conversation. Yeah. Just laying in bed with the person you love, and you, you guys are just talking about some real stuff. And just those quiet moments. And that feels better than any $100,000 car or million-dollar house. I tell people, like, go for the experience, not the things. The Mm. experiences is what you're going to remember. That's what you, you know, when you sit with a friend and say, hey, remember that trip we took, like, in 1999? And remember what we did? And, you know, those are the things that feed you. And so we got to get back to that. You know, I think that a big part of that media stuff is that everybody's trying to sell you something. You know, and so they tell you it's going to be great and it's going to be wonderful. And then you get it. And it's, ah, you know, it's, it's all right, but it's not all that. Right. So you have to find what all that is for you. And if you find it and if your spouse finds it, you know, you can just keep on moving happily down the road and just get, getting better and better. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the book is this idea of future projections. It's like dreaming together. Right. Like even if today we're married, we don't have a lot of money, but we have it in our dream. Like one day, you know, one day we're going to go visit the Eiffel Tower or one day we're going to go to New York or one day we're going to build a house on the beach. And that keeps you going. If there's right. something to, ho- to dream about, there's something to hope for. And we lose that. You know, we have it a lot yep. at the beginning of our relationship, but over time, it's just, it beats us down. I know. If, if people put the amount of energy they put into their wedding and dreaming of, of their, their wedding day yeah. and, and all that, like, the, I mean, you're not just, like, talking about it. You're sketching it out, and you're consulting with other people, and, and you know, it's months into planning, and, yep. and there's no reason why, even after you're married, that you shouldn't continue that same uh, visualization or envisioning of what you want the next steps to be and, right. and you know, the house and the relationship and lifestyle. It's such, it's such an important thing. And think about it. When we were kids, we had so much of that. It was like the magic, you know, of like what we could do. And, and we lose that in adulthood. We just kind of like get into that like automaton kind of, we get up, we do what we do, we get stuck in our habits. And, and habits is a big thing that we talk about in the book, mm-hmm. right? Because we are automatic beings. Right? We do what we always do. So in order for you to make a serious change in life, you have to kind of put it in your head and actually be aware of it and do it day after day after day until it becomes your habit. Like, for example, we, most of us, don't love to exercise, right? <laughs> right. But if you do it every day for, like, two months, you, you lose that resistance, that, ugh, I don't want to get up right now, I'm tired, I'm this, and then you just grab your bag and you go to the gym. And that's what happens. That's when we, we build habits. Because you get addicted to the endorphins and that feel-good feeling. They feel amazing, yes. right? And that's what our bodies, you know, our bodies can heal, can heal themselves, but you've got to feed it the right, the right stuff for it to be able to heal itself. And so that's stuff for your mind and that's stuff for your body, and if you could do that, you just you feel good. And it's more, it's, it's, it's a good that can't, you can't get from other things. Right. You don't get it from drugs and, you know, because that's a fleeting good and then you feel really bad. Uh, and you don't get it from stuff because, again, it's a fleeting good and then 
Especially when you get the bill yeah, right. <laughs> for the stuff that you bought. You open that American Express card and you're not happy anymore. You're like, oh, I bought too much stuff. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's like um, you were just talking about the wedding and planning. Our culture promotes the things that happen before the wedding, right? They promote the ring and the dress and the, you know, bachelorette, bachelor parties. And we very seldomly go into, well, what happens after the wedding? And so a lot of people aren't prepared. They're not prepared for what comes next. They don't know what comes next because nobody's really talked to them about that. And so a lot of us are winging it. And Alan and I, we're winging it until we figured it out. Um, you know, so, so it's important for us to be able to talk about what comes after. I cannot tell you how many couples I've seen that spent upwards of $100,000 on a wedding and did not even make it through that first year in, in a happy state. What can, can you talk to us about what are those stages post wedding? Because you know, there's I have a, I have a friend, she's go, she we just went through postpartum depression, yeah. and I, I've also heard people talk about the same thing like right after they get married because yeah. their expectations are so high, sure. and then there's this huge drop. Yeah. And are there stages? In, you know, or I, mean, what? I wouldn't necessarily say that there's stages because it, it depends really on what you're doing, what your goals are, what you're trying to do. Are you trying to get pregnant right away? Because ki look, kids are amazing, okay? But they are hard on relationships. Yes, they are, and I think that a lot of people don't think about that. They just think about how cute the kids are and look at that cute little shirt I'm gonna buy for him, and then they just don't understand how that's going to impact them. And look, the reality is that all the great things require work. All of them. So we think about the fun and the cool and the amazing about it, but we don't think about the work and the compounding effect of work and kids and, you know, all the things that we have to do on a daily basis, and it's a lot. So um, let, let's let's go back to your question. You were saying what, what happens after the wedding, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we come off that amazing high. You know, we had this amazing party. We maybe went on this amazing vacation, the honeymoon, and then we come back. So, you know, it really depends on whether you live together or not, right? It's not to say that if you live together, it, it will be all smooth sailing, but if you didn't live together, then there's a whole bunch of adjustments that have to be made, right? And then you realize that, wow, we didn't talk about that. I didn't, I didn't know that you like to do this, or you like to have your things on this side, or you want me to get rid of all my stuff. Um, and so it, it gets a little hairy. And the other element of that is when you are two single people, whether you live together or not, you still have two individual paths. When you get married, you only have one vote. Because if you do anything other than that one vote, then there's going to be conflict. Right. So you have to find out the mechanism of how you get from where one person is standing and then the other person is standing to somewhere in the middle. right? And that's not always an easy or automatic process. People have to work to get to that. Absolutely. And, and what, uh, uh, what does that entail? Like, is that because, you know, I'm, me and my ex-girlfriend, even though we broke up, we, we went to couples therapy. Okay. Because she was someone who I was like, uh, man, I could see myself marrying her and moving down steps, and you know we didn't go down that path. Yeah. A lot of my friends made fun of me. They, you know, But to me, I'm, I'm all about the preemptive strike. It's For like sure. I, I want to know what I'm not seeing before it becomes a thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we, we had our, our little things, and uh, I, I forgot where I was going with this line of questioning. But I, I guess the, 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 the point is, is like, 
I think that couples haven't, like you said, figured out a mechanism or system for how to discuss things that they don't agree on. And what would you suggest to them? You know, before they get to that point of where, like, oh no, this is an issue. Like, do you, you know the well, premarital? Premarital counseling helps a lot because it helps you think about the things that you don't know. Right. Right. It helps you understand. Uh, well, I don't know how everybody does premarital counseling, but what I try to do is is make them understand that there isn't one truth. They both hold a truth, and it's true to them. Because look, if we kind of back up a second, there there is no one uniform truth. Um, there's just our own individual interpretations of truth. And there, that could be just countless versions of what we see here, how we interpret it based on our history, our family of origin stuff. So human beings are extremely complicated, right? And so when two people are having a, a disagreement about something, it's not just that you, your job is to convince the other of your point of view. It, it, you could try, but I don't know how fruitful that will be. You know what I mean? So, and that's what we try to do. It's like we try to explain to the other person our point of view, our truth. And that's great, but what about their truth? So what I try to do is help them merge those into a place where they're both happy with. And that would be a compromise, right? Because it, we, we have this analogy in the book um, that basically marriage in any relationship really is like a, is like a seesaw. Right? And if you don't learn how to equalize where you're both standing in the middle, then one's on top and one's on the bottom. And that's not a good equation for most people. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? So it, it's really, really important that we move away from our corners and move to towards the middle where we can compromise. And life as a married couple is different than just life on your own. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to do some things that you maybe don't like for the good of the team. And I think that most people going into it don't really have a good sense of that. What? How does someone, how do you bring up an issue in the relationship? Because I think a lot of people, you know, uh, are upset about what their partner has done or what's yeah. going on in a relationship. And they're like, I don't know how to, how to broach this. Because, you know, it's that if every time I bring it up, they get upset or they yeah. become angrier. What are some of the mistakes people make in trying to discuss things? And then what are some of the ways that they... Are, that you know are beneficial in terms well, of I would discussing. say that what they what they usually do is they're reactive mm -hmm. so whatever thing happens and then they're reactive to it and that reactive could go from anywhere from I don't like that to being explosive to attacking um, and the reality that that's your emotional response to it right and we got to move back from the emotional response and go for the intellectual one of I'm I love this person and I need them to work with me and if I attack them or approach them in any kind of way that is negative, they're probably not going to. And that's something that we have to learn, right? So I would always tell people, like, you have to have time to talk. So important. Communication is the only tool you have to understand each other. So if you don't talk, how can you understand this other person that's so complicated, that has all these thoughts, and you know maybe just a fraction of them? They're not telling you what's going on inside. And there's no forum for it if you don't have good communication. So you get the emotional reactive response, but then most people, because it gets ugly sometimes, they just, you know, they take some space from each other. There's a walking on eggshells feeling. They don't want to talk for a few days. And then they kind of reintegrate slowly, you know. But the offending issue goes under the carpet and is not brought up until the next time. 
Right. So there's no resolution there. You know, they didn't really deal with it. They just kind of avoided it, walked around it <laughs> until they got back into a place where they're they're good again. That's what happens a lot. The when you talk about roommates, when does that roommate feeling usually kick in? It could kick in right away. Really? Yeah. It I, 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 in my head, I'm like 10 years, 15, 20 years. Right away, you could. can feel like roommates. It could. It could. It could. Wow. Yeah. I mean, not with everybody. You still get a little bit of a honeymoon period. Yeah. But with some couples, it does. Because don't forget that some couples have been living together for like five years, 10 years. So they're going into the wedding sometimes already as roommates. That's you know? true. So, you know, the roommates... Married Roommates, which is the name of our book, it doesn't specifically talk about people who are married. It talks about long-term partnership, partnerships, right? So you could get married right at the beginning of that, but you could get married somewhere like in, in, in the middle of your process. So it could be right away. And, and what we, you talked a little bit about the feeling of disconnected, uh, not feeling disconnected, uh, not um, spending enough time together. Are there other signs that you're treating each other like roommates that we haven't discussed? Well, I would say sex is a big part, right? I mean, we see this kind of gradual decline, right, where people were having sex, I don't know, maybe not every day, but they were doing it multiple times a week, and then it kind of dwindles down to multiple times a month, and then it dwindles down into, like, birthdays and special <laughs> occasions, right? Um, so sex is a big one. And I think that the other piece of it is appreciation and validation, right? Because we all want to feel good. We all want to feel like our efforts are being are being seen by somebody. And very often, over time, what happens is we stop seeing the good and we only see the bad. And so we comment on the bad, the things that they didn't do, the things that they didn't pick up, the things they forgot. And we stop giving them those credits for doing the great things. Even if it was just one or two a week, we just don't notice it anymore. And that, you know, look, when we're married, we are each other's support system. We are each other's person. Right. And by the time you get to be an adult, there aren't that many people telling you, great job. There's not that many people being a cheerleader for you. you got to do it for yourself and for your spouse. It, it's so true. You know, when you're a kid, uh, every, all your teachers are giving you little stars and <laughs> stickers. Even when I played football, I got stickers on my helmet. To, yeah. to, and I, got to, I felt so proud walking around. You get the Letterman jacket. There are all these external signs of validation and of accomplishment and then you know you, you get into the adult world nobody's giving you a sticker or a ribbon and no. and then you you know I guess we try to fill it with the material things of oh look at the car that I have or the house and then that becomes the but it's not enough it's not enough and you know what it produces a lot of the time from your friends is just envy right like, you look online and you see all these people just having this great life, and whether that's true or not, or just a mirage or just something that they decided to put on there, it makes you look at yourself and wonder, well, why don't I have that? You know? And it doesn't make you feel good. Right. And inside all of our heads is a, a best friend and a worst enemy. And a lot of the times, the person we hear most often is the worst enemy. Right, and it's just a long-running critique of what we are, what we aren't, uh, what we don't, what we're not good at. People don't like us, and I call it the hater inside. 
And, you know, it's a weird thing because that voice is there to protect us, but it does such a good job of protecting us that we put a moat around us and we don't know how to get close to people. So it's, it's our journey in life to change that voice, the one that we connect to from a negative to a positive. And I think that by the time that people are, are seriously considering suicide, that's all they hear. There's no more good voice. And, and how do you suggest people uh, talk or respond to that voice? Well, for most people, they don't even see it as something that, it, it's not like it's external to you, but it's not the voice of you, right? And that's what they believe. It's That's kind of like me talking to me. And it's not. It's the voice of your fears. It's the voice of your worries. It's the worst of, like, worst case scenario. And there always needs to be another voice that says, we'll be okay. Like, how many times did that horrible thing happen to us? You know what I mean? And it sounds a little silly, but if you think about it, like, it's the narrator of our world. And if it narrates a reality of lacking and not being good enough, then that's what we believe. That's what we act upon. You know, you're so right. I, uh, I mentioned earlier I go hiking, and, yeah. and I'll make these videos, and I'll put music behind it. And the music determines the vibe. Oh, yeah. Of the, the, what's happening in the video is the same. But I could play scary music or yeah. I could play folk music or hip hop. And and to me, the internal voice is kind of like that. Like I I determine what kind of music is playing in the background because that affects the, the mood and the feel. But what's happening is nothing's changed sure. in a physical world. It's just the music you decide to play. That's, that's uh, it's funny that you say that because we have uh, this animated kind of book trailer for Married Roommates, and when we were going to put the music on there, the first the first person we, we had talked to put this soundtrack that was this like a heavy metal, and it was horrific. And then the next person put this like really sad like piano ballad, and it like you watched it and you were like, oh god, this is so depressing. And then the third person had this like upbeat, hip-hop, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, I don't know, it was very catchy, and it, it changed the whole thing around, you know, it made it something that was, that was really, really fun to watch, and, the, and the, the actual animation was the same the whole way through. Absolutely. So, you're right, look, the music, music is a soundtrack to our lives, right, if you could, if you could find what, what feeds you, and that means external, right? The music you play in your life, and internal, what you listen to, what you say to yourself all day, because we've got 60,000 thoughts or something like that running through our brain every day. How much of those do we catch? How much of those do we, do we say, oh, that was, uh, that was a bad thought. I don't want to think like that. We have a lot of those. Uh, uh, so many, and, and I think because it's been playing for so long that, uh, we just assume it's it's who we are. Yeah. All right, this is how I am. This is how I think. Totally. And it's like, no, you've just kind of allowed that to keep playing. When there's a, there's a stop button and there's a, an extension cord to unplug yeah. all of that for sure. But we, we just don't know the way to do that. And I would say that a lot of that relates back to our childhood, right? Like a lot of that, a lot of the pain of childhood is unresolved, and it just you know it it kind of it kind of messes us up in adulthood. Right? I mean, I don't know too many people who had just a wonderful childhood. There right. were always things. Uh, and, you know, whether that's our insecurities or our fears or I don't, I'm scared to do this or I, don't, I won't be good enough at this. Like, it stays. A lot of those scars stay. So we have to do something about that. We have to fix it. That feeling of, of, of being a, a married roommate, is that 
is that something that happens in every relationship? Is that is it normal? Is it like at what point is it normal, and at what point is it a problem? So I would is say it, that okay, is is it normal? Is it does happen if you do nothing to work against it. There are there are few couples who are able to do it who just have the the magic formula by themselves. Um, but for most of us, I would say the majority fall into that. Now, when is it a real... It, look, it's a problem anyway because you're not putting your relationship on any kind of pedestal. You're not making sure that that's an important piece, right? You, t you, do, you take care of everything else except your right. mate. Absolutely. And you will go back to that mate. So that, that should be something that's near the top. A lot of people put their kids first. And look, there's nothing wrong with that, but... In the same way that they tell you to put the airbag on yourself in an airplane <laughs> before you put it on your kids, like you, you need to take care of you because um, you are kind of the tree that waters all the rest of the relationships that's attached to you. Wow! And not only that, like they, your kids grow up in a home where they witness what love and marriage looks like, right? And if they see two people who are disconnected completely, who don't have kind words to say to each other, what does that impression then do to them down the road? And from what I've seen as a therapist, a lot. Right, right. You know? I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that we choose people that, for our mates, that continue that, that same childhood dynamic somehow. It's not always clear to see, but you know, if you do a little bit of work on yourself, you can see how, how it correlates. And when you say, you know, talking about working on yourself, what, what are some of the ways that we can, in a healthy way, take care of ourselves? Because we've been talking a lot about the relationship, yeah. but what are some self-care things that, that people, especially having kids, yeah. that they, they start neglecting? We talked about the exercise and being out in nature. Are there other things that, because, like, I take a bath at night, and I had no idea. Yeah. I used to make fun <laughs> of people taking a bath. But now I'm like, oh, this is the best thing in the world, you know? Well, I think that time is a big factor. So when you don't give yourself the time or your spouse the time for self-care, um, and a lot of people don't because they're overwhelmed and they're busy and they just don't understand that if they come back, you know, a quarter percent stronger, everybody benefits, right? So it's counterintuitive in that way. Because on the, on the front end, you're taking time away from the family. You're taking time away where you could be going to a Target, where you could be cooking, where you could be cleaning. Um, but if you do give each other the time, then, you know, that little well that we have inside of us, it, it, it rebounds. It's not running on empty. So being with friends, having hobbies, you know, doing things for yourself, going for a run, there's so many things that you could do. Paint, uh, I don't know, there's a million things you could do. Right. But right. we just, we stop doing them because we have so much on our to-do list. It's so true because I, I think a lot of people say, well, I hate doing dishes or I hate doing laundry. Yeah. And, but in the beginning, they didn't. Mm -hmm. And then... You know, then there's this big argument about why don't you do the dishes and why don't yeah. you do the laundry? It's like, I thought you enjoyed doing it. And I think really what happens is when we, when we stop taking care of ourselves and nurturing ourselves, we start to resent the things that we do for the other person. Right. So then we stop doing those things. So now we're not taking care of ourselves and we're not taking care of the relationship. And then we're not, it becomes this domino effect of, of just letting things go. Well, we have nothing to give. Right? We're running on fumes. Right. So, look, there's a couple of pieces to that, right? Is at the beginning, 
we got a lot of validation for doing all those things. Like, babe, you did the dishes? Thanks. I'm so happy, and you got a happy face. Then people start to just expect it and don't say anything unless the dishes aren't done, right? And then we get a critique, and that sucks, right? And don't forget that at the beginning, we're just doing the dishes for you and I. Down the road, we're doing dishes for four, five, six people. So right. it, there's just there's a lot more of it. And so, and I, I think that in modern times, we don't ask our kids to do as much as they need to, right? So then it's just two people carrying this huge amount of weight, and they're not getting assistance, and they should because it's good for it's good for them, it's good for you. It, it teaches them really important, valuable lessons about what they're going to need as adults. But we just, you know, we're just so overwhelmed. We don't know how to how to begin that. You know what I what I love about the book and the ideas of the book. Uh, I even though I haven't read it, but just from our conversation, yeah. is that this isn't like you said. It's not just for married couples. You talked about it's for people in long term relationships, yeah. but it's even for individuals because totally. you know there's growing up, uh, you know, watching television. There is always like uh, the retired cop who just comes home and eats the TV dinner and then falls asleep and. And in a way, he's like his own worst roommate yeah. because he's not taking care of things. He's not taking care of himself. He stopped doing hobbies and things that has made him happy. And so if you're an individual listening, uh, you live by yourself and you're single, uh, this, this pertains to you also because there's also having the relationship with yourself yeah. that's important so that when you get into a relationship with another person, you know how to take care of yourself and not expecting... I think that's the other thing that happens is we expect the other person to take care of us right. or take care of the things that uh, we don't know how to take care of. But then because we don't take care of it, we don't know how to communicate that's what right. we our needs. Totally, totally. And look, you know, I think that when you are a happier person, when you do take care of yourself, you're much more likely to attract people to you rather than if you're kind of like sad or depressed or, you know, schlubby, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, so all of those roads connect. They all do. So I think that, the, you know, this book, although the focus is on long-term relationships, it, it does help everybody to just understand the framework we need to be in in order to be happy, in order for us to feel content with life. And it's not just married people who have lost that, although, you know, they are in the higher bracket, I'd say, because when you're st single, you can still do, you have a lot more time to do the things that you love to do. Right. Doesn't mean you always do it, but you have the time. And, and there's, I think there's a, a, it hurts even more if you're in a relationship and you feel lonely. Yeah. If you're single and lonely, you go, well, it's just because I'm single. But if you're married, you go, I got married. Yeah. We had three kids, and I still feel disconnected. I think that's when it gets scary for people, and they turn to medication and other, uh, you know, unhealthy ways of handling it, you totally. know, because they, they try to fill it with another person. And A hundred percent. I think that what we see is this idea of, like, is this all there is, right? Like, this is it. And there's kind of a letdown over that. Absolutely. You know, and you were asking before, like, what is the kind of the worst of it, right? And so the worst of it is when we've given up, when we just don't trust the other person, when we've given up and we just don't see any way back and we stop trying, right? And that could be just we ignore each other and we just kind of walk by each other in the hallway, but that could also be contempt. It could also be rage. And there's kids growing up in your home witnessing that, and that is so toxic for you and for them. 
right? That's yeah. the worst of it. What can you? What is contempt? Contempt is it feels like you you hate the other person, right? Your tone, the way you look at them, is just you hate me. Mm. That's how it feels. Mm. And you could tell somebody I don't like this, and it, you won't have a face of you know where your 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 expression just seems like if you died today <laughs> I wouldn't care, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I hear that a lot. I hear that, you know, I just don't think she likes me very much. And that's that's contempt. Wow. You know, we can be really sharp and cruel with our partners. Right. You know, we know what hurts them. We know, you know, we, we know where to poke, where it really destroys them. And when we get to that level, we use it freely. How, you know, for those people who feel like they've gone too far in that direction, yeah. how do they scale it back? Because you know, I you know, there's because a lot of people have not been to therapy, yeah. and I recommend if you if you're gonna get married or you are married, just go, yeah. just go to explore because you're gonna find out things that you think you know because we're always changing as people. But for the people who feel like, you know what, I've screwed up too much, yeah. I can't. What's the what What are the first steps that you know where you can? Well, I would make say amends? that you? you need to be vulnerable. You need to be. You need to open up and tell your partner how you feel, and at that place, most of the most of the messaging is negative. So if you can get vulnerable, if you can get to that place where you open up and you tell them, "Look, I still love you. There's. I want to get back to this." Then you you together take that path. Uh, but most of us don't do that. We don't open up. We don't get vulnerable. We don't tell them what's inside of our heart, and all they see is what's outside of it, which is the nasty negative behavior. And that's really, it, it, it's just, it tur- it's a turnoff. You know, the, the reality is that you always have to be attractive to your mate, whether that's on the outside or on the inside. The minute that you start treating them like shit, why would they want to be around you? Right? Right. So, and, you know, as far as the, what you were saying about therapy, I think we had spoken about this before, that there is kind of like this old school and new school view of therapy. And people who hold the old school view are really fearful of therapy. Okay, because they believe that therapy is, you know, you go to a therapist when there's something wrong with you, when you're crazy, when you've got a mental illness. Right. And so they they look at them and they're like, we're not crazy. We're good. So why do we need to go to therapy? That's the old school way. The new school way is, wow, you know, there's some things I want to change about my life. I'm I'm functioning at a five or a seven and I don't have the tools to get to a nine. So I go to a therapist that, that's like a coach that helps me to get to those places. And there's no judgment and there's no, you know, good therapists don't have their own agenda. They'll take the goals that you have and they'll help you get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been, at, uh, you know, going to couples therapy, even though, like I said, me and I still broke up. I, the, the tools that I gained and the skills that I uh, were uh, just invaluable. Yeah. And I'm grateful for every moment and every penny that uh, was spent. The, you know, and I was just thinking about this just now. A lot of us, uh, you know, the the message being out out there now is that, you know, marry your best friend. And I think that there's a a fine line between best friend and roommate. Sure. And and, and, uh, is what's the, can you tell us the difference in between that? Like, because in my mind, a best friend, they... They do things together where we're like roommates. I, I'm not, you know. Well, 
look, I think that there is value to to being best friends. Like Alan and I started as friends, and it was a it was a weird transition actually to to you know move away from friendship into a more romantic relationship. Well, being therapists, what we did is we went out on a date, but we the rule on that date was that we had to kind of pick alter egos and stay in character for the entire time. So we couldn't even be ourselves. <laughs> and that's what we did. <laughs> we went to this reggae sushi place, and I don't remember what I was, but he was some British guy, and, and it was hilarious, and it really broke the ice. This is your first date? Our first date. But we, you were we friends. Went, yeah, we went to school together. We went to, to graduate school together, and it was just a weird transition of, like, how do you go from just being, like, great friends to now being romantic partners? So that's what we did, and, and, and it did it. <laughs> it broke the ice. It was hilarious. Uh, three hours later, we wanted to just talk to each other and not just do this uncomfortable, we're on a first date, we don't know each other very well. So it worked. Uh, now, as far as the roommates part, look, you can have roommates that you're good friends with. You could also have roommates that you just share a space with, right? I think that the connection piece is the, at the end of the day, a marriage, a relationship is about you being mates, okay? And there is a romantic component that must be there. The minute that is gone, then you are roommates. And whether that is your roommates that that snuggle on the couch together and watch movies and you know know each other about, about each other's lives, or you're the roommates who just say hi in the hallway and go into your individual rooms, you're still a component of roommates. So the minute you lost that that spark, I would say you're you're going down the road of roommate territory. Yeah. <laughs> so I love the idea of role playing. I'm yeah. going to assume that's not the last time you guys role play. <laughs> role playing is fun. <laughs> uh, when we talk about sex and the and the romantic component, yeah, I I, I think a lot of people too, um, when they do initiate touch, yeah. it's only with the agenda of it leading into sex. Totally, and that's what happens too. And I think that's what. That's why people start to pull away. It's like you're only touching me because you yeah. want something. Yeah. So now the person starts to feel objectified. Totally. Can you talk more about that? Or So one of the things that there's a couple of, uh, of stories in the book that really just talk about the people only initiating touch when it's that peck on the cheek in the morning. And that's it. And, yeah, when sex starts, it's not... It's not like the dance that used to happen before, where you go, where you go out with one another and you're touching and you're flirting, and it, it, it's not that. It's you turn to each other and it's like, hey, want to fool around? And that's just not that exciting. And I would say that for women, it's particularly problematic because women need the dance. You know, men sexually can be ready in an instant. Women, not so much. So if a man doesn't understand that he's got to put in time as far as foreplay and, you know, all of that, then you're not, you're not getting a partner that's totally in the same space as you. And then it could just be like a very quick thing. It's over. Everybody turns around and that's it. Right. That's a very habituated way of having sex and people get bored of it. So bored that eventually they're like, nah, nah. And there go a couple of weeks, a couple of months. You look at your calendar and you're like, oh, God, it's been like four months since we had sex. So, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, you have to keep those emails and text messages and, uh, you know, pics and flowers and surprises. and Yeah. But know. how many married people do you know that do that? I, well, I don't hang around a lot of married people just because I'm single. But you're right. It's, it's not a lot of... Um, 
surprise or intrigue, romance, romance, yeah. and and you know, uh, you know, uh, don't don't come home after work. Just to get in the car and there's a bag waiting for you. Right. And, you know that kind of thing. It, you know, meet me at the exactly. such and such. You know that stuff. You have to keep that stuff going for so sure. For most. I would say even the ones that do something about it, it's a date night. Now, what does date night look like? It looks like going to a restaurant, going to the movies, and that's it. Then they come home, and sometimes they have, like, that predictable sex. Sometimes they don't. But where is the fun in that, you know? Not to say that it isn't funner than just being at home on the couch, but it's really important to do fun things together, to have that entire evening where you're flirting with one another and you're, you know, you're listening to music or you're drinking or whatever it is that you choose to do, it's part of your sexual kind of connection. Like before when people were dating, date night was usually sex night and you knew it and you got prepared for it. Everybody spiffed up, people shaved their face, their legs, they did it. And now not so much. Yeah, you're right. Because like to have a scheduled date night is the exact opposite of romance. Yeah. Romance is the anticipation of not knowing that, or the surprise yeah. of something happening. You know, like you. Oh, I, I got to uh, She wants to meet tonight. Right. Oh, this is. Oh, I got to get. You know. That's the fun of it. The thing is that for most married couples, especially those with kids, like they don't have that much time. They have to be much more scheduled. But it doesn't mean that the actual date night needs to be predictable and boring. Right. That's up to you. You decide what that looks like. And so I think that people get into that trap of just calling it date night, and it's just this habitual thing that they do. That's that it's not it's not not enjoyable, but it doesn't it doesn't help the spark reignite. And so you said something like role play, right? Like, can you imagine if you had a date night and you met at the restaurant and you just played it off as different people? Like you came with your pickup line and she, you know, sat there and giggled. Like it would be so much fun rather than you get there, you talk about the kids, you talk about what the boss did, and it's no different than the conversation you'd be having at home. Right. You know, put on a costume, dress exactly. it up a little bit, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Do things you've never done before. <laughs> right. Put a wig on. Who exactly. Cares? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's so many fun things to do if you if you plan it. Right? If you talk about it, if you if you're in that mind state of like let's jazz this up a little bit. But if you don't, if you don't go there, then it, it doesn't happen. And and you know, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier. This is like you said, it's not just for couples and and uh, long termers, but also for individuals. If if you're if you're feeling stagnant in your life or in your work, add some novelty, mix it up, do something different, for go sure. outside the box. You know, it, it, it creatively. Like there's there's so many different things that that you can do. Um, whether it's the time of day that you do it, it's, yeah. instead of going out for a date at night, go in the morning. I don't yeah. know, like you know, it's it's just crazy. You know, it's not crazy, but you know, mix it up. If you do mix it up, you'll find that you're you just get different things out of it. You know, and I think that fun is such an important thing for adults because we don't have enough of it. Fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we think the kids are just gonna like fill up that that void of fun and play, and then taking care of the kids becomes work. Of course, <laughs> of course. You don't play, but you need adult play for sure. You do. You need to find that fun again, <laughs> that magic. And look, you can play with your kids, and it it will be fun. But is that the kind of fun we're talking about? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 
I think that everybody listening to this should make a mental note and think about what fun is to them, right? And together you can find a, a place where you share that fun. Absolutely. And, and I also, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's nothing wrong with a period of uh, going on automatic pilot. Sometimes, you know, if you're flying a plane, you can't be ascending the whole time. Sure. You have to have that, you need the, those periods of, of homeostasis where, you know, all right, we're just going through the motions because we yeah. just got to get through this period. But we can't stay there. Like, so we have to land the plane and take off again and those but ups and downs. Just stay there. Right. You know, it's years of staying there. Yep. Just doing the same thing over and over again. And, you know, there's moments maybe of happiness and fun, but most of it is just habituation. It's just doing the same thing over and over again. And I think that if you can, if you can burst out of that a little bit, you will get a lot back. What, what, got, what made you guys write the book together? Like who? Like was it your idea? His like how did this? How did this come about? I've you know we we've actually been wanting to write a book for a very very long time, and the the first book we wanted to write was about turning your best friend into a romantic partner, right? Because they already have a lot of that stuff that you love, right? That's why they're your best friend. So the goal was to you know to move to to help people understand that like hey if there's attraction there. Um, and if it's just a question of like, oh, well, they're my best friend, uh, there's, a, there's a path to that. So we've been wanting to do this since we were dating, and it just it took time, and it morphed over the years. And, and I think that this was not so much from necessity for us, but necessity to the world. Because like we had talked about before, most of the people that we see are married roommates. And being married roommates does not stop there. Right? If you don't correct it, then the road, there's very few roads it could take you. It could take you down the road to divorce. It could take you down the road to infidelity. It could take you down the road to just being with each other miserable for a very long time. None of those are good options. Right. So I think that because we saw this great need and we, we saw it happening in our own relationship, we felt like, hey, this is an important thing to get out there. This is an important thing to share with the world. Yeah, I, I know so many married couples where uh, I hear the woman saying that the, the guy's either uh, in, too much into porn yeah. or uh, video games. Yeah, yeah. Like, those are the two. Uh, or he's just out drinking with his buddies, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then the guy's like, he, she doesn't want to have sex. So it's like this, they're, they're both kind of just d going their own separate ways yeah. and having no way of, of coming back together again, totally. you know? Totally. I mean, look, uh, what you said about all those things that guys do, all of them are really a form of escape. Right. Right? And I think that women and men, from what I've seen, are, are really different about sex, right? For women, they need intimacy for sex. So if they don't feel like, hey, we're connected, you're helping me, I'm helping you, you validated me, you made me feel good, like, they don't feel so much like having sex with you. And for men, it's kind of the opposite if they feel intimacy and connection through sex, right? Like you feel closest to your partner when you have a healthy sex life. Right, the and physical so, contact, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, it, and, and once that kind of, that circular thing stops, it just, it drops because, okay, so because it's opposite, like if a woman doesn't feel intimate and she doesn't want to have sex, and if, if she doesn't want to have, and she's not having sex with her man, then he doesn't feel intimate. He doesn't want to give her all those things. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So 
that's kind of that's kind of how we fall through the cracks there. The how do you and uh, Alan keep it keep it going? Like right now, you guys have how many kids? Two. You have two kids. How old are they? They are ten and seven. Ten and seven, and they're both boys. boys. They're both boys. Yes, I live in a house full of boys. Wow. Yep. And so, do you have then a girls' night out? I, you know, I try. I try to go go out with my friends, with my girls. I, you know, we're really busy, right. so we have to be really selective about that time. And most of the time, we'd rather spend it with ourselves. You know, like vacations are really important to us. Uh, I'd rather save money all year long just to go on that vacation and sit by a beach because it replenishes us. It replenishes the family. Um, we love music, so we try to do as many music festivals as we can. And that, that's, a, you know, that's a connecting point for both of us. And I, don't th I think Alan has told you before that we met, we met in grad school, but we had a shared history because we've, we've both backpacked all over the world. So I stood up in class one day and said, you know, it was kind of those introduction scenes. And, uh, and so the woman was like, the, the professor was like, could you tell us about yourself and what you've done and what you've seen? And so I started talking about traveling in Southeast Asia. And then he did the same. So he came up to me in the break and it turned out we were neighbors and we had all these things in common. So that, that's always something that we try to do is get back to, you know, traveling. And it's a little tougher with kids, right. but you know, hopefully they'll get to an age soon enough where we can go, where we can really go. Uh, where, where would you want to go next? Uh, so where would I want to go next? Probably the Caribbeans. Yeah. So when you say all across the all across the world, have you been to South America? Have you did South Machu America? I haven't been so much. He's done more than me. But we've been we've been done Central America, Panama, Honduras, Belize. Uh, yeah. We're working our way. You're working your way. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Is there anything else about the book that uh, that our listeners need to know and, and that you think will be valuable for them to? Well, I would say that it's a roadmap, the book. It's a roadmap to how you get all of these things that we talked about, how you improve the communication, how you resolve the conflict, how you increase the intimacy and your sex life, and then how you put that all together, how you make sure that it's a new normal rather than just these isolated incidents. So if you are unsure about how to get to that happiness and, and being content, whether that's with yourself or your partner, the, the book, it will show you exactly how to do so. I, I love it because uh, I think for a lot of people, it's like everybody knows how to do good stuff. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't know how to bounce back when it's hit the wall, yeah. and, you, know, and, uh, you know, that resiliency uh, I, I think a lot of people lack. Totally. Um, can you talk more about that? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that when people, like, hit the wall, they don't know how to walk it back. And I think that what happens is that you lose that sense of connection with your partner. So it, it's awkward. If you hadn't had sex in a couple of months and you don't touch each other, it's awkward to just reintegrate, you know? It's it just, you don't know what to do with yourself, where to put your arm, where to put, you know? So you, you just don't know how to do it. And uh, I think that resiliency is such an important thing. Like, yeah, we got to pick ourselves up wherever we are and start it again and do it again. But if we don't have the tools, then we tell ourselves, well, it'll fail because it failed last time. Right, because if we, we keep using the stale old tools we have, they didn't work then. Probably not going to work now. So the the trick is to find new tools, to be curious, to to be a learner, to seek out the people who can help you with that. And that's what we don't do, and we forget that we you know there's a lot we don't know, a lot. We and we don't know what we don't know. 
Right. Right. So if you don't make a point of saying, okay, this is my problem. Who can I? Who can I? You know, go out and and get their assistance or get their their comments or statements or books or, or whatever to help me understand this better and to get better strategies, get better tools, then you're, you're doing it on your own again. Absolutely. Because, you know, and because we do surround ourselves with people who are like us. Yeah. So, you know, you asking your, your buddies or your girlfriends yeah. for advice uh, is probably not going to be very helpful because chances are they're, they're running the same patterns and have the same habits that you have. Yeah. And that's why it is important to, you know, talk to a therapist, to read different books, Uh, even you. But experiment. You know, it goes back to play. It's like it's not about uh, this next thing has to be the right answer. It's like just the fact that you guys are exploring the right answers together or how to get unstuck, you know, because you're going to get back there. Life's about patterns. Right. Um, So just because you fall falling back into the pattern that's just a part of the completely and I, what i would say is that look we're on, we're on a journey here right and our journey is to have to to be better to make ourselves better to make our experience better and if we stop then we are basically saying to ourselves like this is all it could be and that is not true it could be amazing but you have to seek it out you have to try to make it amazing and if you give up it stays what it is that's right. You got to put the effort in. Thank you once again, Talia Wagner, for uh, being on the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the what what? How do they get in touch with you? So uh, the best way to get in touch with me is uh, through the book. Let's say is info at uh, marriedroommates.com. Okay, info at marriedroommates.com. And then when will the book be available? So the book officially will probably be available on uh, April 19th. And it is available, it's going to be available for pre-order in the next week. So hopefully a lot of people will find what we've talked about valuable and will want that for themselves. And and they'll make the book a hit. (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I'll definitely be getting the book. Uh, you guys should get the book also, April 19th, Married Roommates. Uh, it's available on Amazon. On Amazon. It will be on Barnes & Nobles and Apple and iBooks, all the, the big retailers. All the, all the good stuff. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. Uh, as, as always, call the 1-800 number, 1-800-SUICIDE. It's, it's important that if you feel you need to talk to someone, to talk to someone. Uh, nothing, there's no hierarchy of pain. So don't think that what you're going through isn't a big deal. Call someone, talk to them. They're there to listen. They're there to, to validate. They're, they're there to get you back on the right path. And we will talk to you guys later. Thank you so much.